Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hitliday, the managing editor for Addicted to Quack, its website. Uh, been uh, out of the country for the last couple of weeks, but uh, I am back now. We're going to catch up on uh, Ducks baseball and softball. There was also uh, a little bit of a, a, a spring kerfuffle uh, in football. Did you hear anything about that, Adam? Yeah, um, actually, I was able to attend the spring game this year, and uh, so I got kind of like an up-close and personal view of everything that was going on, and looking forward to delving into that. Uh, yeah, we had a couple of uh, duck ATQ writers. Uh, Badwater was there, as is uh, our guest this week, Adam Holland, one of the great writers for ATQ. Uh, let's hold off on football and talk about the Diamond Ducks. Uh, I was not able to watch uh, any of these, although I read all of the um, great recaps that uh, the writers at ATQ have been publishing, and uh, it's like I was there myself. Um, although maybe I saved myself some suffering by not being there myself. Uh, not a great couple of weeks for the diamond decks huh not especially um i was really starting to feel kind of uh like baseball in particular was really headed in the right direction after their sweep of washington and i said as much in my article Uh, unfortunately yeah the last uh, weekend did not go very well for them Uh, they had a promising start up in pullman but uh yeah they're i think their primary problem at least from my standpoint, recently, is their pitching and not necessarily their offense. Um, it looks, you know, it looks to me like they don't—they don't have too much trouble putting runs on the scoreboard. Um, but the problem is, is that if you look at their more recent losses, kind of like a common factor in them is that they're usually allowing the team that beats them to score like more than five runs. Okay, and so I think a real key for them moving forward is to try to keep teams under five runs. I know that can be a little bit, you know, kind of like, oh, well, that's the generic comment, you know. But just seeing how their offense has produced, it doesn't look like they're in trouble from that standpoint. No, and it doesn't look like the bats are falling off either. You know, like some of these scores they were putting up were just absolutely bonkers, you know, like 25 run games. Um, And frankly, even as you said, like keep the opponent under five, I had to like stifle a laugh, you know, when I was coming up watching baseball, like 
you know, if either team reached five runs, it was, you know, fireworks were going off in the city. Like, uh, you know, this is still kind of, you know, pretty crazy level of offensive production, but you're not wrong at all. Like, you know, the ducks are pretty consistently putting up between, you know, six and eight runs, you know, every game, even in losses, um, you know, they're not getting, you know, the uh, uh, opposing pitchers are not really containing them, or at least not able to contain them for nine innings. Uh, and, you know, the, the Ducks have gone to extra innings, I think, you know, f- I think three or four times over the last six games, um, you know, that they, they, they can, they will catch up with you in the eighth and ninth inning. Um, it's just, you know, like, like you said, it's, well, I really think it's starting pitching, you know, that's what it looks like for me. I'm just sort of reviewing the, the, the box scores here, but it's like, they're getting behind early, you know? Yes. And, and then I think the relievers clean up pretty well, but like, I don't, I mean, it really doesn't look like the ducks have a, an ACE starting pitcher at all. Do you, do you think I'm wrong about that? Oh no. Um, I agree. And, uh, that's, that's been kind of part of the problem. Um, I've been fairly pleased with the way uh, that the closers have done, especially um, in in my coverage of the Washington series. You know, I noted that like you know between the the three closers, I think they allowed like two hits the last five innings of the game. So closing the deal is not the problem. It kind of goes back to your point of just like you don't want to fall behind too much. I know you have a lot of firepower. Uh, you know, we have some great hitters like Tanner Smith, Anthony Hall, you know, that, that are gonna, they're going to give you offense. But uh, the, the key is you don't want to have to fall behind every time for that offense to kick into gear. Because it seems like when they are able to build at least a solid lead, their closers and their relief pitching does a really good job wrapping things up. The other thing that I'm seeing, and I, I, I – like I said, I was not able to watch these games, so I'm curious to to learn this from you. I'm not seeing a lot of errors uh, in any of these box scores. Like, even though the opponents are putting a bunch of runs on, you know, it doesn't, at least from the box score, look like the, you know, it's fielding errors uh, either. It looks like they're just, you know, the opponent is just slugging it, you know, off of Oregon's pitching. Is that right? It is, and that's exactly why I kind of pointed out that pitching was the primary issue, and I didn't say defense altogether. Uh, because from what I've seen from their outfield, uh, like you pointed out, there's there's not a whole lot of errors to be had. Uh, they're pretty solid. And so these these runs that they're giving up are just strictly from like the, the uh, batters getting hits, and there's kind of no other way around it. So, yeah, I think that, I think that baseball is absolutely trending in the right direction. Um, they're going to have to really put together something special against Oregon State. No doubt about that. Uh, if they I mean, honestly, the world on that one. like, uh, you know, we, we shouldn't we shouldn't be saying the sky has fallen, you know, too much here. Like, you know, they got swept by UCLA. UCLA is probably one of the best, you know, you know, best teams in the, in the conference, you know, maybe the country. I'm not sure where they're ranked, but like the, that's a pretty damn good team. Uh, but since then, you know, they've dropped what three games in, in, uh, 11 games, right? Cause they had four against ball state. They had three against Washington, three against yeah. Washington state. Then they had that singleton against Portland. So yeah, 11, right. ga- you know, 
that you know they're eight and three since that that you know awful UCLA series, and even that at UCLA series, each one of those losses by were by one run. It's not like they're getting run ruled or anything, you know. I know that's a softball thing, uh, but anyway, like you know, uh, it's not like the Ducks are out there getting killed. They've won, you know, most of these games that we're crying our, our eyes out about. There'll be plenty of tears uh, when we get to softball, um, but baseball is like. <laughs> You know, the yeah. idea like, you know, they 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 swept Washington uh, and then against Wazoo, you know, they won the first game in extra innings. They, you know, lost a close one on the Saturday game and then they lost the 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 rubber match in the 10th inning by one run. You know, uh, yeah, you yeah. know, we're, we're not talking about the end of the world here. We're just talking about, like, could you please not get into a big hole to start the game? Um uh, you know, that's really and the other thing that I think I, I um, you know, just looking at when the, the pitching replacements happen, one of my big things, you know, maybe I'm a radical on this question. I, I don't know. But like I tend to think that baseball and softball managers leave their pitchers in too long that like, in my opinion, you ought to pull the pitcher at the first sign of trouble because nobody ever pitches themselves out of a, a, a hole. Although I, you know, I could be wrong about that. It's sort of an emotional reaction, perhaps. But like, it doesn't, it doesn't look like, you know, I'm not seeing starters kept in through the sixth and seventh innings. You know, I'm seeing, you know, what appears to be a fairly appropriate pull them in the third, pull them in the fourth, you know, kind of thing when they get into, you know, when they're, they're getting in these holes. You know, the problem, it appears to be, you know, I guess we're saying it for the third time, but the problem appears to be it's just like they can't get through the first three innings without giving up four runs, you know, like that seems to be very consistent over the last several games. Right. Yeah, definitely. And uh, to your point there, uh, those two losses that they had against Wazoo were very close losses. And unlike softball, I definitely think baseball is at least trending in the right direction. Not sure they're really ready to make it like a push into like conference supremacy yet, but they're, they're headed upward instead of downward right now well as we speak uh the ducks are uh taking on uh the beavers in baseball uh, i'm gonna turn my head and look at the screen uh, see how they're doing um i don't know uh oregon state baseball is obviously you know pretty good uh uh what do you but this game doesn't count uh as a as a conference game for some reason i don't really understand why that's the case but uh you know not like uh the ducks are gonna you know take this one any less seriously or the beavers either uh what are you expecting out of you know they will eventually play five games against oregon state what do you give give the chances for the ducks uh uh in, in this series Honestly, um, out of the five games they play against Oregon State, I think that they do have the offensive firepower to get two wins out of those five. And uh, considering how good Oregon State is, I think that that's a, a reasonable goal to set. Now, the fan part of me wants to say that they could win every single one of these games, you know, because we all want to stomp out Oregon State and everything. Uh, baseball, I guess, is just the uh, one thing that the Beavers can, pardon the pun, hang their hat on. Uh, they've always kind of been, you know, top dog in that. But no, I, I definitely think that with the offensive output we have, if the pitching just, like I said, does a decent enough job of, of not getting them into an early hole, I think they could take a couple games out of those five played. I don't think that's unreasonable to expect. Well, the other thing that I noticed about Oregon State is just, you know, their pitching just seems to be at a different level. You know, like if anybody can keep 
Oregon's explosive bats in check. I would sort of expect it to be the Beavers. Um, I, I don't think there's really any shame in that. Cause like I said, I think this is, you know, probably, you know, arguably the best team in the country. Um, it's kind of weird to share a state with, uh, uh, you know, the best team in the country. Although I guess, uh, you know, Oregon state has had to live with that for quite a while in most sports. Um, but, uh, uh, so the shoes on the other foot when it comes to the diamond, but, um, you know, I, I think you're right. Like, I, I think that, you know, if you have explosive hit, I mean, the, just the structure of the game, if you have explosive hitting, you are never out of the game. Um, and, you know, it, it only takes a couple of connections, you know. Uh, um, so we'll see how the series goes. Uh, you, you know, I think that the Ducks keep it at least respectable tonight. Um, and, uh, and, and hey, doesn't count for the conference standing. So, uh, yeah. you know, there, there's still a shot for a good finish and, and a, a decent seed when we're going to the postseason. Absolutely. All right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk a little about softball. Okay. All right, we're back. Uh, now, uh, out of the frying pan, into the fire, uh, let's talk about how the softball team's doing. Um, boy. Seems like I did not miss much when I uh, was not able to watch these softball games. Uh, uh, wh- what do you think about the Ducks' performance uh, uh, this couple, past couple of weeks? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> softball has been uh, a tough thing to cover lately. Um, honestly, it, it, it was something early in the season that you look at and you think to yourself, well, there's something that we could, you know, possibly have. Uh, a, a good team. I think that uh, the, they've done a really good job since the coaching chains of getting back to being a conference title contending team. Obviously, you know, before the coaching change, they were up there in the nation's best. Uh, but now kind of, you know, the, that brought them back down to earth, but I thought they've done a good job of, of climbing back up the ladder. And I was uh, liking what I was seeing for a while. Honestly, What's happened with them is uh, kind of the polar opposite of baseball. Uh, Their hitting and their offense is just not producing. And uh, I think if you just go over, like, the number of runs that they have in their, in their losses, uh, that, that kind of speaks volumes. You know, you, you, you look at, like, the series, the whole series against UCLA. They never got more than two runs. Um, they had a decent offensive output in a couple losses against Arizona and Arizona state. Um, but then you go back to the Washington series, you know, granted Washington is, you know, a top tier, but in two of those three losses, you didn't score one run. And uh, that's, that's just not going to get it done. And uh, I realized that a lot of the losses that they've had lately have been in series against ranked teams. But one thing we have to keep in mind is that before this 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 downward spiral started happening, Oregon was a ranked team. They were up there. I think they, they climbed up as high as number 14. And so if you really are a number 14 team, you should not be getting swept every time by every ranked team that you face. Well, and the crazy, I mean, it, it, it's true this has been an absolutely brutal stretch of the schedule, right? Like, you know, UCLA, Arizona State, Arizona, Washington are all ranked. Um and, you know, I guess, and, you know, they're, 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 
going to finish out conference play against Oregon State and Stanford. I, I don't think those teams are as good and, and maybe more to the point. I don't think those teams have the um, the pitching staff that in particular UCLA and Washington have. Um, uh, you know, I was kind of disappointed in the performance against Arizona because like I don't really think much of Arizona's pitchers and uh, and, and, you know, I th- uh, in particular that third game where they got run ruled at the end. I was like, what's come on like that's Arizona's pitchers are not that good um but you know I, I think we sort of let me back up uh, a couple of weeks ago I was having a discussion with uh, another one of our writers um about like has the pitching and the hitting in softball evolved that like it used to be maybe eight nine years ago uh that in softball, the most games were ending like one to zero because the pitching was just so absolutely dominant. Like hitters could not just connect at all with the heat that, uh, you know, the, the, the softball pitchers were throwing. And because of the nature of softball pitching mechanics, like you could have your ace play the entire game. Uh, you could have her play like two games out of three in a series, you know, the opener and the closer of a series and just like, just absolutely smoke them. And, and the, the batter had absolutely no chance. And then it seemed like something kind yeah, of changed in the last couple of years where into, I don't know if it's, um, you know, it batting camps or, what do you think it is? Um, honestly, uh, kind of like you said, you know, the game games are evolving all across the board. You see it in almost every sport now. Uh, there's there's hardly any sport that you can't find now where the offense is not evolving. Um, that's not to say defenses aren't evolving as well, but offensive output is just it's 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 straight up improving all across the board everywhere. And um, one thing that. Oregon could do before in softball was like I said, you know, produce against, against that pitching, which, you know, you mentioned used to not be able to be a, a thing that many teams were able to do. Um, now, do I think that Oregon softball has bad pitching? No, I would not say they have bad pitching. I think that their pitching is adequate if you have that offensive firepower to back it up, but they don't have that offensive firepower. So in essence, it, it, it just it, it comes down to like if if you're not going to be able to produce, you know, at least the and, and again the magic number five, like at least five runs on a consistent basis in this conference, then you have to have the pitching to back that up. And and, and they don't have quite that level of pitching. Well, I think what I've I think what I've seen over the last couple of weeks, you know, watching softball games is the pendulum has not entirely swung. Uh, There are still elite pitchers out there uh, against whom nobody can hit them. Um, UCLA appears to have one. Washington appears to have one. And Oregon does not appear to have one. Um, Like, uh, they may be rarer um, than back in the day. Uh, you know, it, it's probably not the case that every team can have one. It's probably not the case that even half the teams in the conference can have them, but the best teams in the conference do. And Oregon, because they don't have an untouchable pitcher, you know, when they go up in a series against a team that does, like that's 
that's all she wrote. You know, it was over before it began. That's, that's my take on what we're seeing in softball, that that there do exist still some untouchable pitchers. And it's just the case that Oregon doesn't have one. What do you think about that theory, Adam? I think you definitely have a good point. And that's that's why I said, you know, I, I don't believe that they have bad pitching across the board. Uh, but like you said, they don't have that ace and they don't have that superstar that they can kind of lean on f- from game to game. Because uh, like you said, with the pitching mechanics in softball, you can have your ace pitch not only longer, but more cons- more consistently throughout the season. So uh, that would be someone that they could bring her in, you know, for these and, and definitely save her for some of these high ranked teams. Uh, but they don't have anybody like that. And if you what? don't, and your pitching is just kind of like, you know, run of the mill, then like I said, the, the offense would really have to put together something special. And unfortunately, they didn't do it, probably because like you said, these other teams have those those ace pitchers. You know, I, it, having said that, I, I feel like if that theory is correct, it at best explains the UCLA and Washington series. I'm not sure that it totally captures what happened against the two Arizona schools. Um, you know, one of the things I was talking about coming out of the UCLA series on this podcast was, you know, I want to see how Melissa Lombardi's team bounces back uh, against Arizona State. You know, don't don't let UCLA beach twice because Arizona State's a gettable team. Um, and then they got swept and then they almost got swept against Arizona the next weekend. And, you know, I, I was sort of I don't know. I, 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 I was, uh, you know, d- didn't get great eyeballs uh, on those uh, games, but it makes me, you know, wonder, like, this is year four with Melissa Lombardi. You know, I understand, you know, that she sort of inherited a problematic roster because when Mike White left, he wound up taking like most of the roster with him. And there was probably inevitably going to be some transition problems. I, I sort of think like, that grace period is over and we shouldn't have seen a team that, you know, collapsed against these two Arizona teams um, the way that they did. Uh, Like, I don't know. Do you think that this indicates that, are are you having second thoughts about Melissa Lombardi as a coach and maybe Oregon needs to uh, start looking elsewhere? Like what's your opinion about that? Honestly, um, I do think that by this point, like I said, that they should be producing on a higher level than they are. Um, I wouldn't say that Melissa is on the hot seat yet. Um, just because this string of, of losses happened against these ranked teams and in, in what you said was kind of a really brutal stretch. That being said, though, uh, this this is a softball team where, you know, greatness is expected of. It's been achieved before. And it's going to be, you know, expected in the future. Um, it really, you know, rose from the ashes. I remember when I was a student at UO, uh, the, the, the softball field was was absolutely nothing like the beautiful Jane Sanders Stadium is now. Uh, it didn't get nearly in the attention. And um, I, I think that if you're going to be in a national spotlight, which softball has been in the national spotlight before, then you expect to get back there again. You can't You can't just be like, okay, that was just kind of our – you know, one one time in the sun, and, and that time's over now. No, I do think she has to start producing uh, better. And I think that one of the, the primary issues, uh, sort of like the baseball team, is they just keep getting themselves into these huge holes. Um, you know, they've, they've had several games that have almost been called because of the mercy rule, just because they get themselves in such big holes. 
And uh, for a coach like her, she can't allow that to continue happening. Uh, she can't come out, you know, week after week, and it's like, okay, now the Ducks are down 3-0. Now they're down 5-0. Now they're down, you know, 8-2. It, it can't work like that. So I, I agree. I think that the, uh, the collar is tightening. I wouldn't say she's on the hot seat yet. I think if you see this kind of thing again next year, though, it may indeed be time to kind of, like, start to look elsewhere. Well, what I'd really like to see is just, you know, more dominant pitching. Um, You know, it feels like it kind of feels like the football quarterback issue that like, you know, you you go as far as your ace, you know, pitcher, uh, uh, you know, will take you. And, you know, I I like Stevie Hansen a lot. Um, Oregon needs a few more Stevie Hansons. I don't know. Maybe the fans should put together an NIL deal for uh for the pitchers, there's no, it's not restricted to be, to football, you know, like maybe, maybe we yeah. can, uh, you know, start up a fund and, and put up a, you know, a softball pitching billboards all over Eugene or something like that. Uh, get her a car. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, no, there's, there's something missing. Um, we'll see how they do. Uh, they've got the series against Oregon state coming up this weekend. Um, uh, Oregon state softball team is not nearly as dominant as their baseball team. We'll see if Lombardi and the ducks can write the ship. All right, let's take a break. Uh, we get back. We'll, uh, uh, back a little cleanup and talk about football. All right. Uh, before we get to the gridiron, let's uh, talk about some of the other sports. Uh, uh, Oregon's women's golf uh, won the Pac-12 uh, in a pretty uh, exciting tournament, uh, as exciting as golf can be. Um, it was uh, held in Eugene, uh, and the Ducks got the sort of ultimate home field advantage uh, in golf when it was raining like hell. And uh, But water cannot kill the Duck, and uh, uh, you know if that rattled any other teams, you know the storms and so forth, it, it certainly didn't for Oregon. Uh, they got... You know, individual best player as well uh and uh way to go uh, you know off to the national scene for the women's golf team uh, a couple other spring sports are starting to get in full swing. Uh, uh, lacrosse uh, is uh, uh, is heading towards the Pac-12 championship. Oregon's women's lacrosse team is not great this year, but they put up a fight. Uh, there, we had a coverage of a UC, USC game uh, uh, the last couple of weeks. Uh, the men's golf team, as we speak, is competing in the Pac-12 championship. Uh, they've come in uh, fourth and fifth the last two days. We'll see how they do on, on Wednesday, which is the final day. Uh, track and field, uh, has been going on this whole time. Uh, it's difficult to get that televised apparently, but, uh, Eugene's a real track and field town. Adam, I know that you're, um, excited to get, uh, start, started in the coverage of, uh, the track and field team. What are you looking forward to? Uh, definitely. Um, in the past I've, I've, I've covered, covered some of the, uh, classic events. Um, I did, uh, a couple of the, uh, Olympic trials at Hayward field. Um, but the, uh, the Prefontaine classic has always been, uh, one of my favorite meets. And, uh, it's been one that that's, it's been a real pleasure for me to attend multiple times, uh, especially at the old Hayward field and, uh, looking forward to getting a chance to attend it at the new Hayward field should be, uh, should be pretty good. Uh, the other thing that's going on is, uh, this week is the PAC 12 championships in women's beach volleyball are going on, uh, the, the, these, these couple of days in the middle of the week, uh, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, we'll be, uh, devoting some coverage to that. They're on all day long. Actually, we, we actually don't know when the ducks are going to play. Uh, but if you flip on the PAC 12 network at any time on uh, Wednesday or Thursday, you will watch uh, beach volleyball. You have no choice. Uh, 
uh, and uh, that's always fun. Um, you will be looking forward to that. And uh, acrobatic and tumbling is is also going on as well. Now, this never gets televised. I don't really understand why. Uh, uh, it seems like as much fun as anything else. Um, but, uh, you know, the Ducks have one of the best programs uh, in the country. They have the uh, the national championships coming up um, uh, uh, at the end of the week um, uh, uh, or the semifinals anyway. And those will be in Eugene. All right. Uh, the other interesting thing that happened this week was uh, uh, the football spring game. Uh, Adam, you were in attendance. What did you see? Um, the first thing that caught my eye uh, was the defense. And, uh, you know, with, with Lanning coming in, that was kind of the name of the game. They were like, this guy does defense. That's what he does. And, uh, you know, you can you can cover a lot of the practices and everything. But you don't really see it come into play until you, you know, attend a live scrimmage. And uh, what I saw um, on Saturday was just a, a defense that was just getting after it uh, with, with a tenacity that I haven't seen in quite some time. And, uh, you, you know, you could look at the performance of some of the, you know, the quarterbacks and be like, oh, they didn't play very well. I actually don't particularly think that was the case. I really think it was just the defense jumping all over them. I've, I've never seen that many interceptions and that many forced turnovers by a defense in a spring game ever. A lot of times you go back, you know, historically, and you look at even second string quarterbacks will have almost like a hundred percent completion, you know, percentage in the spring games, just because it's kind of, you know, geared around quarterback being comfortable in the pocket and everything like that. But this defense, even though they weren't allowed to hit the quarterbacks, we're, we're just uh, flying all over the field covering the skill position players. And I thought that was super encouraging to see. Uh, yeah, it was, um, you know, what I can tell you from, from having charted the game and, and, you know, figured out the players was that what really was seen seeming to hurt the offenses was that they had split up the offensive lines, which is sort of something you have to do if you want to have a real game. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, they, they had, you know, for the yellow defense versus the green offense, they were having, you know, Braden Swinson, uh, uh, you know, uh, coming off the edge, you, you know, going up against, uh, 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 you know, uh, you know, Dawson Jeremillo, um, who is, has been a backup for basically his entire career here at Oregon. You know, he's not, has not been the starter. Uh, and then, you know, the, when it was the other way around, it was the, you know, the revelation of DJ Johnson going up against either Faupe Lalo, um, who's, uh, you know, came in a couple of years ago, you know, doesn't appear like he's, you know, ready to play, you know, full time. Uh, and then, you know, later Bailey Jeremillo, who's Dawson's little brother and a, and a walk on. And it was just like, he was destroying them. In fact, uh, at one point they actually, you know, right before the end of the first half, they actually flipped Stephen Jones and, uh, and Ope, um, uh, at guard and tackle just to give, you know, you know, Johnson, somebody else to go up against. Um, it, it's, uh, uh, you know, it was just, you know, like, uh, Oregon's edge rush. I, I'm not entirely positive. Oregon's edge rush is going to be that good. Um, but like, you know, Swinson and Funa, um, uh, were, were playing off the edge, you know, on, for the yellow team and Johnson and Navarrete, um, were playing off the edge, uh, you know, for the green team. And just both of those guys had the better of, um, you, you know, the, the tackles who were trying to stop them. And, and if the, 
you know, quarterback is under duress, they make, you know, boneheaded plays. Like that's why you try to get pressure. That's why edge rushers are some of those valuable guys when it goes to the NFL draft. Like, you know, that, that, that part didn't really surprise me. Um, but yeah, you know, I totally think you're right. Like the, the defense is, um, it it will be, you know, exciting to see. And then the other thing that you observed about like the way that the defense is like covering, you know, uh, you know, the pass coverage is like, yeah, that's the defensive structure. Like that's, that's the mint defensive structure. I'm going to write that one up a little later in the offseason um because it's this weird situation where oregon is going to be playing georgia but they also stole their defensive coordinator so like <laughs> i get to do double duty on on that one um but yeah like the the everything that you were seeing there in terms of like how how this defensive structure sells out to stop the pass um in a spring game in which the offenses were almost exclusively throwing the ball because they're trying to minimize injuries and so therefore they don't run it that much like yeah that was sort of a predictable outcome that's sort of that's sort of what they were designed to do anything else catch your eye well like you said you know the offense was almost strictly pass uh so Unfortunately, that that didn't give us a huge insight uh, to Sean Dollars and Byron Cardwell. Um, well, we didn't see Cardwell seven. at all, but um, but we did see Whittington. That was uh, uh, yeah. the, the, the transfer from from Western Kentucky, who I th- I thought played pretty well. I I did a little project on Carlos Lachlan and uh, Whittington, and I was sort of like. I, my conclusion, you know, at the time was like, uh, hey, Cardwell better look out for his job because Whittington could totally take it. And then it's sort of what happened in the spring game. Cardwell's held out, I think, is with a minor injury. Uh, I'm not really yeah. saying that's, you know, what happened. I just that, that was a little tongue in cheek. But like, yeah, I think, you know, if something happened so that, you know, that Cardwell wasn't available during the season, I don't think that it, Oregon's going to have any problems at all giving the ball to Whittington, do you? No, no. And, uh, yeah, I, I definitely think Whittington um, showed me something, especially considering, you know, his size. Uh, he, he he definitely was kind of reminding me a little bit of uh, LaMichael James, kind of, you know, that smaller back that can squeak in between the tackles mm-hmm. and then has that breakaway speed. Uh, it's not something we've seen a whole lot of in previous years. I think uh, Travis Dye showed you a little bit of that. Uh, but, again, you know, it's, it's kind of been geared toward a little, little bit of bigger, stronger backs. Um, I do think that uh, Seven McGee has proven himself as, as a great return man. Yeah, and, speaking, uh, of, uh, speaking of uh, uh, DeAnthony Thomas, uh, who, was at, who was at the game, I was sort of like, hey, look, Seven McGee, DeAnthony Thomas, they're there together. It's This is kismet, man. Um, Seven was uh, kind of a revelation. Like, I really like watching that guy. And not just because he caught, you know, the big pass to start the game, but like that guy was catching everything, you know, thrown his way. Really great hands. That that second catch of the uh, of his of the game, that touchdown catch where it's like bouncing off of his helmet and he still corrals it. Like, that's impressive. Like, that's sort of, you know, that that's like the game slowing down, you know, kind of deal where like you have magic hands while you're falling down. Like, ooh, I like that. Yeah, and it's it's you're starting to see uh, the real potential of, of of his ranking coming out of high school, you know, and I, I think that he does he does mirror DeAnthony in a lot of ways, um, kind of that hybrid player uh, that could that could that could switch back and forth between running plays and pass plays, um, as well as be super dangerous in the return game. I was very pleased with what I saw from him. 
Well, it's pretty, you know, on, on the offensive side, uh, you know, it's pretty exciting because it seems like there's a lot of a lot of the players that we were sort of like, well, let's see how this guy does um, on the offense. Like the answer has been ooh, pretty good, right? Like, ooh, pretty good out of Noah Winnington. Ooh, pretty good out of seven McGee. Like, ooh, pretty good out of Chase Coda, the, the transfer from UCLA. You know, ooh, pretty good out of Isaiah Crocker, who we like you know, I think came onto the team in 2018, 2019, and we'd like never seen him. And, all, you know, like, ooh, he's pretty good. Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton, Isaiah Brevard, all those guys were, you know, true freshmen last year. Ooh, pretty good, right? Yeah, uh, Justice Lowe, we saw a little bit, you know, seemed pretty good. Josh Delgado and Chris Hudson, we've seen them uh, for a, a long time, but they were being used well. So all the, and then all the tight ends, right? We got to see Ferguson and Webb Madva. We still haven't seen Herbert and McCormick. They're injured. Um, but even like the walk-on, Tyler Nanny caught a few catches, you know, like, None of these guys hit the field that we had for the offense for skill players. None of these guys hit the field that we had questions about that were like, oh, I don't know about that guy. You know what I mean? Like, like it, 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 we already knew that there was a lot of good returning skill players. And then it was like, well, what are they going to be supplemented with? Are these guys going to be worth their salt at all? And I mean, every single one, I, I believe, or I perhaps you disagree, but like, I feel like a hundred percent of the new skill players that got to be put through their paces in the spring game, a hundred percent of them checked the boxes like, Oh, that guy's playable. You know, like, is that, am I making sense here? Oh yeah. Yeah. I was particularly pleased with Thornton. Um, yeah. I think that he's uh, on his way to developing into the the kind of uh, uh, downfield threat that we need, uh, the, you know, the larger threat. Haven't uh, Didn't really have that as much the last couple of years. Um, I know in, you know, the, the, the final uh, team with, with Herbert and everything, you know, we, we, we kind of had that player uh, develop, um, you know, from the Penn State transfer. And, uh, you know, unfortunately that didn't develop until like halfway through the season. Uh, but he all of a sudden became kind of like a go-to. And, and uh, I think with, with Thornton's size and hands, especially watching him make a couple of those kind of like diving, juggling catches, um, I think he's, I think he's, he's ready to, to start making a step into the big time. Um, as far as the, the quarterback battle goes, I think we, we pretty much saw mostly what we expected. Sure. Uh, we were, you know, kind of in, in like Thompson, it's, it's tough to figure him out because he's very efficient and, you know, he, he looks sturdy and everything. He's, you know, recently atten attending the Manning passing Academy. Um, Bo Nix was clearly the one that was in control. Uh, he had the best flow going on the offense. He had the most confidence in the pocket and everything. It, it reminded me a lot of last year's spring game where just even though, you know, Thompson showed like, hey, you know, I got a good arm, I got, you know, some good poise or some potential there, that um, Anthony Brown was just like, that's clearly the guy that has control of the offense. Now it's clearly Bo Nix. So the question is, how much longer is, is, is this wait going to take for the development of Thompson? Is he really our quarterback of the future? Or is he, you know, maybe unfortunately somebody that came in very highly touted that just doesn't quite pan out that way? Uh, I, we'll see. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, I always, I, I always go with the rule of thirds, you know, like it, it doesn't matter how highly touted a dude is to his hit rate. It's just a third of the time you'll hit a third of the time 
due to wash out of the program third of the time you'll get you know something in between you know like a, a solid backup or he plays well but then gets hurt and you don't ever see him again or something like that uh and you know we'll just find out like i guess i'll the way that i think about it is is less you know i'm not really concerned with like will ty thompson ever live up to his potential he will or he won't i'm concerned with uh, okay they have a starter it's bo nix you know it's not you know mince words about it like he that's clearly his job uh he even though he has i believe three to play two remaining like he has said he wants to go to the nfl after this year uh we'll take him at his word um and say look you know we're going to be back here in a year's time. We're going to be having this conversation again. It'll be Thompson and Butterfield. I don't believe that either of those guys are transferring out because assuming that Nick's is, um, you know, the starter like Thompson Butterfield still have lots of eligibility left. They'll probably go through another year. If something happens with Nick's, I think both of those guys, I guess I'll put it this way. This is not an Arizona state situation where if Jaden Daniels ever got hurt, that team was going to crater, um, which, spoiler alert if you watch Arizona State spring game that cratering has occurred um like if Nix is unavailable for a game they'll put in Thompson or Butterfield and Oregon's offense will be fine like you know perhaps it won't be like you know Heisman caliber performance or anything but like it's it's not going to be the end of the world you know what I mean yeah no and I I agree I mean I, I I feel comfortable with Thompson uh, for sure. I, I feel think, comfortable uh, with Butterfield, too. Like, I, I don't even know how it would break the tie. I don't think the spring game given us enough data to, to break the tie between Thompson and Butterfield is my stance. What's your stance on that one? Um, I it, It's tough to say because I haven't really seen Butterfield's legs much. Mm. I know that he's, you know, primarily touted as like a pocket-passing quarterback. Um if Thompson is able to be a better scrambler and a little more dangerous on the move, I think that could clearly give him an edge, especially in the age of football. That's a pretty good idea. I think unfortunately, and I was, I was talking about this a lot last year with Anthony Brown. um, I said that, you know, Brown was, he was like an efficient game manager. Hmm. Uh, But I think what Oregon fans, unfortunately have gotten used to and kind of spoiled by are dynamic quarterbacks. Um, you know, we, we had Dennis Dixon, who was absolutely a dynamic quarterback. You had Mariota, uh, who was a dynamic quarterback, you know, as, as good as they come following him, you know, then you have Vernon Adams, who's an incredibly dynamic quarterback. Uh, Justin Herbert, you know, he developed into that kind of quarterback and you see what he's doing in the NFL now. Um, I think, you know, uh, fans expect now, where's that dynamic quarterback going to come from? Where's that one who's just hitting these throws, you know, 40, 50 yards downfield on the button, but he could easily break off a 40, 50 yard run. You can, you know, he can't do anything with him. I think they have to be a little more patient with that. Um, I think that, you know, those, those quarterbacks don't come along quite as frequently as, as Oregon actually saw them come along during that stretch. I think we kind of uh, lucked out in that sense. Mm. Uh, that's not to say we may not see another one. But I think that's probably maybe the one knock on Thompson is that a lot of fans are just kind of like expecting him 
to be that dynamic player like that. Uh oh, you got to look out for that that QB one. Yeah, you know. I mean, it's definitely true that a quarterback who can run changes the equations for the defense. And ceteris paribus, like if you have two quarterbacks who both have you know totally equivalent passing games, but one of them can run and the other one less so, like yeah, like you know that's an that that's a no-brainer um i don't know though if fans necessarily need a dynamic like i think fans want big plays and if that comes exclusively from pocket passing and they're you know it's just 40 yard passes all the time i think fans would be perfectly happy with that if they never you know i think you know pats fans are pretty happy with tom brady for a long time you know uh like i i don't necessarily think that, that uh you know, I, yards, yards and touchdowns and third down conversions are what, uh, you know, is, is the necessary criteria. Um, I don't really, you know, think it's important how they do it. Um, although who knows, you know, f- you know, fans might, you know, that Mark's Mariota is uh, Oregon's only Heisman winner. And if you can't, you know, do what Mariota did, then you're a subpar quarterback, you know, maybe the standard that fans are using. I don't know. Last thing to talk about with the offense is uh, the offensive line. Um, I don't think we got, you know, I don't think we got super uh, great news about the offensive line that we didn't already know anyway. You know, uh, Oregon returns basically five starters, TJ Bass, Ryan Walk, Alex Forsyth, uh, Stephen Jones, uh, Malice Aloma, Viola Ulu. I'm don't, I didn't see anything in the spring game that made me think those dudes aren't the five starters. I think they probably have a couple of playable backups. Uh, I think Marcus Harper, right guard, uh, acquitted himself fairly well. I think Jackson Powers Johnson uh, is fine at center. I think Dawson Jeremolo is fine at left tackle. Um, I sort of think that's the end of the list. Like, I wasn't real wild about um, Faope Lelulu. And, uh, boy, it's starting to get thin after that. Like, there's been so many departures in the offensive line. You know, that basically everybody else who was playing in this game were walk-ons, right? You know, we saw Kanan Rossi, we saw Charlie Pickard, we saw Matt Duarte, um, we saw Bailey Jeremillo. Um, so like, you know, it, it's, it's not saying much to note that if Oregon, you know, even though Oregon's got five pretty damn good, you know, starters for their offensive line and, and looks like three pretty decent backups that if they take four injuries, they will be in real trouble. Well, there isn't a football team in the world that, you know, can take four injuries at the offensive line and, and, and be just fine. Like that's a totally unrealistic standard. So I don't, I don't really say much there, uh, just that like, I think the only data that we got from the spring game about the offensive line is that like, okay, Adrian Clem, it's time to earn your paycheck because you really need to go out and fill up this offensive line room. Um, because, you know, the fact that they were playing uh, four walk-ons in the spring game, you know, indicates that, you know, the, 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 the bench going forward in the future, not really talking about 2022, but going forward into 23 and beyond like, okay, good start with Connerly, good start with, you know, EU Lee and Kawika Rogers, uh, um, uh, good, you know, Michael Wooten, although I think he didn't participate in this game, um, uh, you know, like need more that, you know, the, this tank's getting like maybe a quarter full and, and needs to be filled up again. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's why, <clears throat> So many of us were so pleased and, uh, you know, surprised, but pleased with the, uh, with the Connerly commitment uh, is because, yeah, we're, we're, we're thinning out on that offensive line. You know, you, you have, you have that, that two year starting line. Uh, that's kind of the backbone. Uh, but you know, you're moving on from Cristobal, 
who put so much emphasis on that offensive line, you know, having been a former lineman himself. And uh, yeah, it's, it's an area of concern and you, you want to make sure that you have uh, that depth, <coughs> excuse me, um, because injuries are going to happen. Um, it's, it's, it's just the way the game is played. You're never going to avoid it. You're never going to get to the end of the season and have the exact same roster you did in November that you did in September. Uh, so for offensive line health, um, yeah, depth depth is going to be an issue for sure. Um, I was you know fine with what I saw out of the starters um, in the spring game, yeah. But like you said, uh, it's 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 slim margin for error. I do think the yeah. Connerly pickup helps helps tremendously with that. Uh, but we got to we got to hit that more often. Well, I mean, the the article that I published while I was on the road um, uh, was about Adrian Clem, and I was sort of like, boy, I, I am still of very um, split, uh, you know, di- I'm a, a divided mind about Adrian Clem. Like, the recruiting is incredible. The fact that so many of his dudes are in the NFL and still in the NFL, like, I, you know, I, I reviewed two years of uh, his film at UCLA, 2015-2016, over which we saw 12 different uh, players, eight of whom are still in the NFL, which is like in like a 75% NFL hit rate would be the best position coach ever that I've ever observed, uh, for getting guys into the NFL. The crazy thing is while those dudes were at UCLA, they weren't playing that well. Um, like I, this is one of the, the, the benefits of doing film study is that you don't have to use, statistics or offensive performance as like a proxy for offensive line play. You can just watch the offensive lineman and be like, Oh, you always screwed up that one, dude. Um, and it was just like, boy, uh, there was a lot. Um, and then on top of that, I mean, dudes getting sued by players, uh, former players for, for mistreatment. Um, and, uh, boy, you know, I don't know. On the other hand, it seems like, uh, the, the, as we just got finished saying, it seems like the operant thing right now for offensive line is they need more bodies. They need to be good bodies. They need to be future NFL bodies. And you can't describe like, Hey, that's Adrian Glenn's wheelhouse. Um, you know, whether they turn out to be any good or not is a question for another day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And then flipping over to the defense, like, uh, you know, I, I think the impressive thing about the way the defense performed was they were doing it, you know, they were much more shorthanded than the offense was, right? Like the offense was, the the, the guys who were on the roster who didn't play for the offense were Byron Cardwell and Patrick Herbert and Cam McCormick that we mentioned running back and the two tight ends. I don't feel like they really missed them because as we said, you know, Dollars and Whittington uh, uh, played pretty well. And the other two guys who were playing were sort of walk-ons um, or uh, they're non-scholarship players, but we've seen them play before. It was Aaron Smith, who was like the star of the 2021 spring game, if anybody remembers him. And um, and Hassan Ritter, the transfer from uh, from Hawaii, whose name I think means Bunny Knight uh, in German. Anyway, um, the you know, both of those guys, you know, were fine but they're, you know, they're walk-ons, but like Oregon still were, was able to field, you know, two good backs and, and they've got Cardwell and the, the, the true freshman James coming in, you know, they're solid in the running back room. They're obviously, you know, they, they had two of their tight ends out, Herbert and McCormick. They're obviously very solid in the, you know, tight end room. And then they didn't have any of the other skill players out, you know, like they, they were missing, you know, Walden and Wooten on the, the offensive line. And so therefore they had to play, you know, maybe more walk-ons than they were uh, hoping to, but like, you know, they, 
that they have enough, you know, to do that right now. And that's it, you know, in terms of the, who was missing on the offense. On the other hand, the defense, my stars, you know, they were missing a lot and like important players. They were missing four different dudes from the defensive line, uh, Afiase, uh, Amavai, Dordalus, and Ware Hudson, uh, you know, longtime readers of mine will know that I am absolutely in love with Brandon Dordalus. Um, uh, and, and yet, you know, no real drop off, uh, on the defensive line. Um, uh, let's just confine our comments to the defensive line right now. We already talked a little bit about the edge guys, but like a little bit of a surprise that Trevin Maya seems to be converted to a defensive uh, tackle at this point. Um, but a happy one. Cause I think he played pretty well. Sam Taimani, the transfer from Washington, I think played really well. Um, uh, Shipley and Pody, the other Williams, Keanu Williams, um, you know, uh, playing for the green team. Like I was pretty pleased with the defensive line performance and that was, you know, with them being pretty shorthanded, we even saw two walk-ons playing pretty extensively for the, um, well, one of the walk-ons playing pretty extensively for the yellow team, Josh Simmons. And then he, uh, he was like a starter, you know, we saw Simmons so much. And then a little bit, we saw Ty Delgado um, towards the end of the game. Um, I was pretty pleased with the defensive line performance, especially considering they are so shorthanded. Do you, do you disagree? No, I, I, I agree that um, how shorthanded the defensive line was and the way they performed was very impressive. And um, kind of like what I was you know saying at the beginning is I think a lot of that goes back to coaching. Um, yeah. If you have, you know, like everybody always has that mantra, next man up. Uh, but the teams that really show it, the teams that can plug guys in to these slots and have them produce, uh, that comes down to coaching. And so, like I said, that's that's definitely um, really encouraging to see. Um, I do think that as much as, you know, some of the fans of the last decade kind of like to hold on to that, you know, explosive Oregon offense that, you know, puts up 50 a game, is an unstoppable touchdown machine. Defense is the name of the game. And if, if, if that was ever proven more dramatically than in last year's national title game, please let me know. Cause I've never seen defense have as big of impact as they did on that game. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, the coach and the coach of that defense was our new coach. And so yeah. I think there's a lot to be excited about in that aspect. Yeah. One of the under the radar hires, um, uh, uh, was Tony Tuiati, um, who was, um, he, he'd spent the last three years, um, at Nebraska, which like everybody, he's got opinions on how Nebraska is doing. Um, but he, you know where he was the year before he was at, uh, Nebraska, he was at Cal in 2018 for that. That was the year where Cal's defense really peaked. That was their unstoppable defense in 2018. And in many ways, in my opinion, Tuiati was the architect of it. Um, or at least in terms of position coaching, obviously the structural architect was Tim DeRuiter. Um, but uh, uh, no, I think that under the radar, Tuiati was a very good hire. Um, and the other thing I, I noted in, in the article that I wrote about Tuiati is that, you know, um, this defense may want to, um, you know, the mint front is always, you know, three down. And yet in this game, we saw a lot of the two down stuff and how you would adapt, um, mint front or tight front principles, uh, you know, the, the philosophy of that about how you're selling out to stop the pass, but still getting enough, uh, you know, to not get killed by the run. How might you uh, adapt that to a two down front? Like if anybody knows how to do that, it would be Tony Tuiati because that's what he had to do at Cal and Nebraska. And I sort of think that that's like the secret weapon there. 
And then on top of that, in terms of personnel, like there's still more coming in um, for fall camp. Uh, uh, Jordan Riley from Nebraska should be joining for fall camp. He wasn't available for the spring game. And then two of the true freshman recruits who I think are actually, you know, big enough that you might see them playing as true freshmen, Ben Roberts and Sir Mel's, um, both of whom got stole away from Washington, I believe. So can't complain about that. Um, so, you know, it, it, I think this defensive line looked strong and will only get stronger because like I said, they had four guys who were, you know, out and three guys, uh, coming, you know, they're going to add seven more dudes, uh, and they won't have to split the defense in half. Um, so, uh, I'm really excited about watching this defensive line. And then that, you know, as you say, the defensive line was the calling card for this, you know, historically dominant defense that Dan Lanning coached at Georgia in 2021. Uh, the other interesting, um, uh, uh, thing was the inside linebacker situation because, you know, that's really just what killed Oregon so badly last year um, was they, they had so many uh, inside linebackers who were injured that, it, you know, it was very clear that opponents were taking advantage of that. I, th- I feel like even though uh, Justin Flo was out uh, in this game uh, or, or he was like dressed to play and he came running down the tunnel and he was in pads and everything. Um, he didn't, you know, play in this game, even though that was the case, I think that Oregon has flipped like a position of weakness to a position of in terms of like personnel, like bodies in the room. Cause when I count up inside linebacker, it's Noah Sewell, Jeffrey Bossa, Keith Brown, Jackson LaDuke, uh, uh, Harrison Tagger, Devin Jackson. Those two, last two are the new kids. And they converted over um, Adrian Jackson from an outside linebacker to an inside guy. You know, they were playing seven scholarship inside linebackers and they have two more in, in flow and Terrell Tillman um, who we didn't see on the field. Like, you know, uh, I, I was, I, I, I've been really impressed, you know, that, that, that was something that was really killing them last year. And it now seems like they're really, really deep at, at inside linebacker. Do you agree? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think their linebacking corp is um, uh, slated to be probably the best in the conference this year. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they are. I, um, I, I have a hard time seeing any other, you know, team that would compete with them on that question. Um I mean, maybe USC, but they've been in a mess at inside linebacker for a long time. You know, it ain't UCLA. It ain't Washington. ASU's falling apart. Actually, ASU might be able to push them. They've got a couple of good guys there, but like just the depth, you know, like that's the thing that just blew my mind was that like this was the lack of depth at ILB because of all those injuries was their big Achilles heel last year. And now it's the opposite of that. Um, Yeah, I'm, I'm really impressed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, looking forward to, like I said, kind of seeing that that linebacking corps in action just as much as anyone. Um, I think with the return of flow, you, know, you add that in to the, all the names you're mentioning. You know, particularly Sewell, who looked his usual self in the spring game. Still, the speed at that size, you know, continues to amaze me. And um, yeah, I think that uh, for sure that. Um, the, the linebacking corps will play a huge role in how like, you know, this, this defense will develop uh, in Lanning's first year. And uh, yeah, definitely look for that to be, you know, probably the most easily recognizable improvement um, of the season for 2022. Yeah. I mean, it all, honestly, it almost feels like overkill because like, Devin Jackson and Harrison Taggart uh, are both true freshmen, but they're they're blue chip true freshmen. We saw them playing in the spring game. I think those guys in a pinch 
would be playable as true freshmen in real football games. Um, you know, assuming that Justin Flo is healthy enough to play, you know, you've got two five stars plus Jackson LaDuke looked great out there. Keith Brown was a, uh, was a blue chip. He was playing as a true freshman last year. I think he's, you know, ready to go. Just those, what did I list off for, uh, you know, four returners plus two true freshmen Hell, that would probably be enough, but then they've, you know, they've converted two guys, right? Je- Jeffrey Bossa, who had to be converted from a safety to an inside linebacker last year um, because of all the injury problems, they've decided to keep him at inside linebacker. And then Adrian Jackson, like I said, who's like a pastor specialist, they've converted to ILB. And it's sort of like, I, I kind of think that's like one or two bodies more than strictly speaking they need, but they've sort of I think they've made a deliberate choice. They're just like, we're not going to let that happen again. You know, like we, we were so not we, cause it's a different staff, but the ducks were so killed last year by their inside linebacker depth that I sort of feel like they've gone overboard with inside linebacker depth this year. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I don't think that's a bad thing at this point. Yep. I think that, uh, you want to look at where you got hurt the most, and uh, I think you want to try and, and uh, right that ship as quickly as you can. So, yeah, that that kind of depth and that kind of production at that position uh, that's that was so crucial for them and getting killed at the end of the season. Uh, definitely looking forward to seeing that uh, come into play. Well, well, I mean, the good news is that even though, like I said, you know, they converted a safety and an OLB, you know, I don't think those positions are really hurting for depth either. You know, they've got some pretty great options at OLB. You know, everybody was was wowed with, you know, D- you know, DJ, of course. Um, but then, uh, you know, on the, on the defensive back side of the ball, like they got Bennett Williams back, which I think is great. You know, I think that was an under the radar, like really, you know, everybody want to talk about the, the, um, the inside linebackers first and foremost, me, you know, as a big problem last year, but like, missing Bennett Williams is like big, like, you know, uh, you know, that was pretty important, you know, in between, I thought that Steven, Steve Stevens, you know, finally started looking really good in the spring game. He was injured a bit last year. Uh, Brian Addison, who fans might recall, got converted from a, a wide receiver, was playing a free safety or field safety, um, pretty consistently in the spring game. I thought he looked pretty good. Um, JJ Greenfield is back with the team. That's been an interesting story where uh, he didn't play at all last year. Um, he really and truly left the team and no longer got his scholarship, but he has rejoined the team. Uh, Dan Lanning clarified as a non-scholarship player. He got a pick in this game, you know, like JJ yeah. Greenfield looks like a pretty reliable safety, you know, um, uh, they they took a transfer from uh, from Hawaii, Donovan Dalton, who's got a lot of experience. He's a senior. Um, he's a, a three star at a high school. I think that he is a non scholarship player. Um, they took a um, a true freshman, Trajan Williams. I don't think we saw him in the spring game. I don't think he's on campus yet. But like, there's lots of depth in the safety room. Like they could afford to. And I didn't even mention Damon David and Justin Flo's little brother, Jonathan Flo, who they've converted to yeah, safety. So yeah. like, you know, even though they lost. Uh, Verone McKinley and Jordan Happel um, last year and Jeffrey Bassa um, to the inside linebacker core. I think they've got plenty of playable depth at safety. I don't, I think it was a move they could have afforded that they could afford to make. uh, And, and, and seems like they did make that decision and, 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 and probably for the better, as you say. Um, And then cornerback is the interesting one to me because, you know, they lost so much, right? Like they, they lost uh, all, all three of the guys who, 
they lost Mikhail Wright and DJ James, who were the two starters last year, plus Jalen Davies um, is an in-conference transfer boo. Uh, um, but, it, you know, uh, uh, they, Christian Gonzalez, uh, the transfer from Colorado, uh, played real well in the spring game. I, I've been a fan of his for uh, a couple of years now since I've been doing Colorado film review for the last couple of years. Um, Dante Manning was out this game, um, uh, but, you know, he's a five star. I think he'll be fine. We saw a lot of Avante Dickerson uh, in the spring game. In fact, I think he played every snap um, uh, for the uh, I believe he was on the green team. Um and uh, and then Triquiz Bridges is really interesting um, on, on the yellow team. Uh, the 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 way they were. Uh, I, I'm sorry, Dickerson was on the yellow team. Oh, Darren Barkins, that's who I'm thinking of. Uh, Darren Barkins, uh, Avante Dickerson, you know, quite a bit on the yellow team. And then the the yellow team actually was pretty interesting because they had two different defensive back structures. Um, one of them, uh, uh, what it was. Um, uh, uh, Triquist Bridges was playing the field safety and they had, um, Bennett Williams playing the nickel and, uh, you know, the boundary safety. Um, uh, th- they had, uh, uh, number 13, uh, his name is escaping me right now. Uh, uh, uh Brian Addison, sorry. Um, and, and then they'd reconfigure that in a couple of other drives where they'd move Addison over to, uh, from boundary to field. They'd move Williams, Bennett Williams over from nickel to boundary. They bring in number, uh, 27, who's Vitakovic. I, he's a walk on. I don't think he's going to play, but you know, the, they'll have somebody for there and, and and bridges would move from free safety to corner. So they like, I think they did that deliberately. Like they are capable of cross training, you know, bridges as both, corner and field safety uh, Williams, both uh, nickelback and boundary safety and Addison as both field and boundary safety. Like, I think that was deliberate. And I suspect that there's probably a couple of guys who are playing on the green team for whom that might be uh, the case as well. Like I think um, in a, in a pinch, Jamal Hill could probably switch over from nickel to, to boundary safety. Um, and in fact, I wouldn't be surprised if that's exactly what happens if they stick with um, Bennett Williams at nickel and switch Hill to boundary, or maybe they'll do that the other way around. They'll, they'll have um, uh, Hill at, at, at a uh, Hill at nickel and, and Williams at a uh, boundary safety. I'll, I would prefer it the other way. I think that Williams is better in coverage and I want coverage out of my nickel backs, but anyway, um, boundary safety and the structure of this defense is really needs to run the alley and be a run stopper, which I really think is like Jamal Hill's specialty is so big. Um, anywho, uh, I think they got plenty of safeties. I like that they're cross trading in multiple positions. I like that we got to see, um, five different dudes play cornerback um, who are on scholarship. I think that's probably adequate depth um, for what they need. Um, and uh, while I was really worried about defensive back, um, you know, uh, 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 and was like kind of concerned about the Jeffrey Bossa switch, like I am no longer concerned after watching the spring game. I think they are just fine um, at defensive back. Plus we got to see uh, Jaleel Florence, uh, uh, the, the, the true freshman um, and in his buddy from the same school, the other Jaleel uh, is coming in a little later. Um, and hell, I, I think that uh, Dondrell Brooks, um, the walk on, he was playing a uh, cornerback pretty extensively. He might um, wind up playing himself into a scholarship uh, kind of like how Ryan walk did on, on the offensive line last year. Um, 
anyway, that was a long rant. Basically, uh, sure. I was worried about the defensive backs, but after the spring game, I am no longer worried. It was actually my number one takeaway from the spring game in terms of like, um, you know, belly grumblies and now belly is, is calm and contented. Uh, yes. uh, what, what do you think? Uh, I, I agree. Um, after the performance I saw from the defensive backs in the spring game, um, I'm not, I'm not nearly as concerned about that as I was before. Um, I definitely think like you mentioned, uh, Florence, I think that, uh, to see him play in, in the spring game, I think he could definitely work his way into the, into the rotation as a true freshman. Oh yeah. And he was, and he was somebody that we almost lost and then got back. Like we, yeah. we seemed like we for sure that, had that, him. And then that it was, was like landing's first, I back. think first or second recruiting coup, um, or the other one being seven McGee was the re recruiting of those guys. And both of those, they, them played very well in the spring game. So it was like, yeah, way to go, dude. Yeah. hundred percent. And, um, before we wrap things up, what one other player that I want people to keep an eye on, uh, who was, you know, talked about quite a bit, uh, a few years ago when he first came in, um, has kind of fallen off the radar, maybe just a little bit because of the injury bug, uh, is Mace Funa. Oh yeah. Um, I don't think I th- I think he might be kind of like one of those dark horse players this year, you know, with with getting, you know, some of the guys back that we're getting back, and, and like we were just talking about the linebacking court. I definitely want people to watch Mace Funa this year. I think um, that w- if healthy, he is uh, overdue for a, a breakout season, and I think with with Thibodeau out of the way now, uh, you might really see him play like a, a much higher uh, role. Funa was really interesting to watch in the spring game for a couple of reasons. First is he slimmed down considerably. Um, there was a point in 2020 where I was like, dude, are you trying to become a defensive lineman? Um, he's uh, like, uh, it, it took me a second to recognize because he switched his number two. He's no, he's number 18 now. Yeah, um, that, that threw me off. Yeah, but... it threw me too. I actually yeah. think of these guys primarily by jersey numbers and not by names because um, I'm a real nerd about this. <laughs> so like, I, I hate it when people switch numbers. It's like, no, you're screwing my brain. But anyway, um, yeah, between the 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 weight change and uh, and the number change, I was it took me a minute to recognize Mace Funa, but I, I agree with you. I think he's due for a breakout. And, and here's the other reason why is that he was exclusively playing the almost everybody else who was an OLB was switching back and forth to an extent between the weak side, the the Jack OLB, um, which in 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 mint front defense is like that's your edge rusher. You you play a three down four eye a four eye zero four eye you know techniques um with your defensive lineman and the jack probably plays off the weak side and the nickel plays on the 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 strong side you know or to the passing strength that's how they split it up if you if you watch like the origin of this which is the tight front if you watch like todd orlando or dave aranda's defenses the way they split it up is based on um boundary field and the mint does it on passing strength, you know, passing side weakness. Um, so anyway, uh, the, the, the Jacka will be is the, the, the weak side guy and he's your pass rusher. The strong side it will be is it does some of that, but also, um, does, you know, a, a rush containment and so forth. So like, it's a, you know, somewhat different job anyway. Um, Mace Funa was the, uh, uh, 
was the only guy who was exclusively a strong side OLB. Everybody else was switching back and forth. Um, Swinson was switching between um, weak and strong side. Buckner was switching between uh, weak and strong side. Um, Navarrete was switching between weak and strong side. Oh, DJ Johnson was always on the weak side. I think you can expect that going forward. Jabril McNeil was also always on the weak side, but he didn't play that much. It's possible that he could do strong side stuff too. Anyway, but base Funa, I think that that dude's your starter on your on your um on your strong side and because that dude is you know strong enough to you know seriously do you know run containment because the whole point of a mid front is it's spill and kill which means like you need to be able to you know contain outside runs you need to be, both be a credible threat against the tackle and maintain your discipline um to not uh, get too deep or to get washed out so that you can do, you know, outside run, you know, containment. Um, in fact, it was kind of funny watching, you know, almost all of the big runs that were called in this game um, were guard, you know, their, their belly guard pulls um, where, or, or, or not belly, but, you know, just the, the short side where it's the, if the, if, if the, if the play side is to the right, they'll have the right guard, pull around the right tackle and that's to contain the strong side OLB um, and force the ILB to come down and block the, or, or attack the pulling guard. The, the reason that the offense was doing that was because that's the only way that you're going to get around a spill and kill philosophy. Um, Anyway, uh, it's good, good to know, I guess the offensive coordinators have studied the defensive coordinators a little bit, but anyway, yes, I agree with you. Mace Funa uh, will play a crucial role in this offense. I think you're looking at your starting um, uh, strong side uh, OLB, and uh, I think he acquitted himself well, and I'm really impressed with how he's transformed his body. Yeah, definitely. All right. I think we're going to wrap it up there. Uh, I think the spring game was pretty uh, encouraging. I, I didn't see anything that made me discouraged. Um, and, uh, and and the team will only get stronger going into fall camp. Um, for me, I'm going to start in with my duck dive series, uh, uh, previewing all the rest of the Pac-12. I've got actually two different interviews um, t- tomorrow. I, I've got to interview both Bryant Conger um uh, uh, for Arizona and Hode Rubino uh, for Arizona State. Uh, those will be spaced out in the next couple of weeks. Those are my projects. What, what do we got upcoming for you, Adam? Um, as we head more into fall camp, um, I think I'm, I'm definitely going to uh, take a look primarily in, into Kenny Dillingham's offense. Um, I think we, we've all kind of you know seen what we wanted to see from the defense. Uh, we, we, we know what Lanning's about. We know what his staff is capable of. Uh, I really want to take a, a, a deeper look in, into what we can expect from Dillingham's offense. Um, you know, kind of like the, the pass to run ratio, uh, the difference it's going to make compared to the type of offense we've been running in, in years prior. And most importantly, obviously, how Knicks fits into that offense. Uh, good stuff, man. I'm looking forward to it. All right. That'll do it for this week. Uh, thanks, everybody. Uh, we'll catch you on the flip side. Have a good one.